Again, this is Mark chapter 12, verses 30, verse 38 through 13, 2. And in his teaching, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This is the word of the Lord. Great to be together today. want to give you just another invitation to join uh, our seminar starting soon, Friday nights, How to Interpret the Bible. And I just want to make it clear, um, even if you've never read one page of the Bible, uh, you would be most welcome to come to that. We want everybody to know how to do this, interpret the Bible. So all, all I ask is just commitment to be there and give it a shot. So if you want to sign up for that, you can sign up afterwards. Hope you can all join us. It's about seven weeks through the fall on Friday nights. But let's pray and we'll look at the word that the Lord has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we come in here today with all sorts of things on our minds, and, and you know our, um, our inclination towards you. Maybe some here aren't even sure you're real. Um, others maybe just don't, don't like what we heard, read from your word. Um, we have many, many burdens, many sorrows, many concerns, but uh, we pray now, Lord, as we come to just something at the core of worship, spiritual life, just listening to your word. We pray you would guide our minds, um, open our ears, soften our hearts to hear what this text has to say, and we'd be receptive to you, Lord, and we would see um, the salvation you offer us, the love you offer us, the identity and hope and future you offer us in Jesus Christ. So help us now, Lord, as we come before your word. Help me to teach it faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. One difficulty we all faith, face when either considering Christianity or um, trying to live the Christian life is the painful reality of religious hypocrites. Um, it seems like it's in the news every other week. You've got a church leader involved in another scandal or you've seen, uh, heard stories of people horribly mistreated, or uh, some churches seem like just machines trying to get money out of people, or 
Just the vibe of church is either truth without love or love without truth. What are we supposed to do with this? Um, first, just realizing the reality. Read the New Testament. Read Acts. Read 1 Corinthians. Read uh, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. And you'll realize that hypocrisy in the church is nothing new, is it? In fact, since the very beginning of the church, hypocrisy has been a constant challenge to deal with. And as many of us know, personally, it can really hurt. It can really hurt. So again, what do we do when we face the reality of religious hypocrisy? At first, I just I think it needs to be said, the details of our response usually depend a lot on the details of the situation, right? It could be time to confront somebody. It could be a time just to forgive, or it could be even time to change the church you attend, depending on the details. Again, the details of the response, it's going to depend on the details of the situation. But this is the idea before us this morning in this text, responding big picture to this reality. How, how do we respond? Uh, here's one common response. I invited a guy to church the other day, a couple weeks ago. He said, I'm done with church. I said, oh, why? And then he said, uh, it's not the beliefs, it's the people. So he hadn't been here to my knowledge. Uh, if he has, what have you done, right? <laughs> but uh, and he, he was not interested in talking further either. <laughs> and, and that was, so his take seemed to be, I'm done with church. Due to hypocrisy in the church, I'm done with church. Others decide they're not just done with church, they're done with Christianity itself. They won't even consider it anymore. How can Christianity be true when so many who claim to be Christians are so hypocritical? So there's the question, right? We're, we're not denying here today that there isn't sometimes horrible hypocrisy in people who claim to belong to Jesus. In fact, if that didn't exist, then you really could doubt Christianity, because again, nearly every page of the New Testament <laughs> says that's going to exist. So what do we do with it? How should we respond when we encounter religious hypocrites? Because we will. So we're, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. You just remember Mark was an associate of the Apostle Peter. Peter was an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. This is written maybe 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. And we're getting to the, to the end of the book, and we remember the last, the last third of this book is about one week in Jesus' life, the last week of Jesus' life, because it's so important. Jesus entered Jerusalem as God's promised king. He shut down the temple for its corruption. He profoundly answered the religious leaders who were always trying to discredit him. We've seen all that together. But today we see that in his teaching, Jesus directs his people on a fundamental way to respond to religious hypocrisy. I won't say it's the only way, but it is a fundamental way to respond to religious hypocrisy, and it's not what we might expect. Uh, for instance, Jesus does not say, look at all these hypocrites, let's trash the idea of church. No, he's, he's in the process actually of saving and creating his church that he loves dearly despite all its weaknesses. And he definitely doesn't say, oh, there's religious hypocrites. I must not be the son of God. We just have to realize, I mean, that's, that's silly, but I hope you realize that 
Some people acting badly in the name of Jesus has no real bearing on the reality of who he is or how you should respond to him. So how does Jesus want us to respond? And, and here's why I think it's surprising. Mark 12, 38, the first word is, beware of the scribes. Beware. What, what does that word mean? Beware. Well, that's a warning. I know most of us, um, it's not our favorite hobby to be warned. Uh, I don't particularly like to be warned. We, we realize some warnings that we encounter in life, it's just like people being pompous. I'm warning you, you know. But that's not this. Do you think there's such a thing as a, a good warning? I mean, come on, if you're a parent, uh, haven't you ever warned your child? You know, even if it's from like, uh, be careful around strangers or don't just run across the street without looking or I mean, there's a host of warnings. Why do we do that? Best case scenario, why do we do that? It's because there's actually dangers out there. And um, people need some wise counsel on what the dangers are because they're sneaky. They're, they're everywhere. So you have to actually be awake. You have to be aware. You have to watch out. And the purpose of the warning is love. It's love. It's a loving thing. But, but here's, I think, what's so different, right? Because whether it's inside the church or outside the church, whether it's podcasts, YouTube videos, books, exposing the hypocritical church, that is big business right now. And if you want, it's, it's clicks, right? Did you hear what this guy said? Did you see that? It's, it's uh, interesting. It's controversial. And as we look at the hypocrisy of the church here, there, and everywhere, it's easy, isn't it? It's easy to look at that and just shake your head and be like, ah, bunch of idiots. But the thing is with a warning, what does a warning do? A warning says when you, when you look at that, the next place you have to look is right here. Because the danger is you'll become like them. The next danger you need to think about when you encounter religious hypocrisy is what? Your own hypocrisy. And that just takes us to this core fundamental reality in the scriptures. That when it comes to people's sins... The sins you are most responsible for are whose? Your own. Your own. And it is so dangerous to obsess with other people's to the point that you forget to consider and struggle with the, the, the only sins you're honestly most responsible for, your own. In fact, when we forget that my primary responsibility is my sin. When I forget that, that's when I become a hypocrite. When we love looking outward and quit looking inward, that's when we become hypocrites. And by God's grace, that's the thing we don't want to be. Amen? We do not want to be hypocrites. So there's two main parts to what we need to think about today. Number one, Jesus is going to give four dangers of religious hypocrisy. Four dangers. I think it's just fresh to see that um, you're never going to outdo Jesus in hating religious hypocrisy. He's there first. He doesn't like it. Calls it out. 
But then you're also going to see the remedy to religious hypocrisy. And it certainly isn't rejecting church. And it definitely is not looking away from Jesus. So here we go. Four dangers. I guess we'll call that point one. Because doesn't it sound better than having five points? You're going to be overwhelmed if I give you five points. So we're gonna, well, it's just two points. Four dangers. The remedy. First danger of religious hypocrisy. Mark 12, 38. In his teaching, he said, uh, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So the first thing to be aware of, to be warned of when it comes to religious hypocrisy is how alluring hypocrisy is. Alluring. You know what that word means? According to the dictionary, alluring means powerfully and mysteriously attractive or fascinating seductive so there's something in here that's almost like an addiction and the scribes these religious leaders these theological experts they desire something very powerfully did you see it mark 12 38 in his teaching he said beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes Think about the details here. They like to walk around in long robes. What is he talking about? Well, it would be very normal for a Jewish man to wear a prayer shawl, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. The scribes would wear special ones, a special prayer shawl, ornate tassels on the end. They drop all the way to the ground. But still, the issue isn't, it, isn't the robe itself. What's the issue? The motive behind this thing. This, what, what are they after? It's this self-righteous enjoyment of being recognized as holy, as spiritual, as something special. Well, you're really something. You really made it. They like to be seen by others. They like greetings in the marketplace, as commentators say. When a scribe would arrive on the scene, it was expected that everyone would stand. So I was just thinking for the next six months, we should try that out here at church. Um, when I walk by, I want everybody, yeah. It makes you want to throw up in your mouth, right? Um, again, to be fair, it's not necessarily wrong to show respect to someone. It's not. The issue is the motive. They like it. They like it. Everybody to notice, hey, I'm here. I'm so holy. I'm so respected. I'm so accomplished. They like the best seats in the synagogue, places of honor at feasts. So every synagogue, it's, it's kind of like an early version of the local church, right? There's, there's seats, the congregation faces a certain direction, but then there's some seats up front facing the congregation. By the way, I've had to sit in seats like that before, and it's kind of miserable because you know everybody's like watching you, and you're wondering if you put on matching socks. And uh, um, Again, it's not, the problem's not having a, a special seat reserved for someone, the problem is they like it. They like to be seen as those who get the special seats. Oh, you're the one on stage. You're the one in the know. They like the honor. Or uh, commentators tell us as well, when, we when wealthy individuals would have a feast, and if you really want to put on the Ritz, you invite a scribe and some of his followers. Now, I think that art has been lost. I have not had like any invitations from celebrities to come to their parties. Just because I'm a pastor, you know, I could bring some of you guys. That seems to be culturally dead. And you know what? I'm okay with that. But back then, right, if a wealthy person has a feast, they want to invite a scribe. Because it's like, look, it's recognition. Look, I got a scribe here. 
And again, it's not necessarily bad to invite certain people to your feast. What's the problem? The scribes like it. They like it. I like being recognized. That's their problem. So it's easy for us to smirk at these ridiculous scribes, right? They're like religious peacocks walking around, special colors, everybody looking, everybody standing, everybody inviting them. We're like, gosh, a bunch of hypocrites. And they are. But what's Jesus say? Beware. Beware. And he's not warning you because there's no danger here to you. He's warning you because there is a danger here to you. And what's the danger? Well, you probably don't wear a long prayer shawl. You don't sit in a special seated church. But don't you sometimes have an inordinate desire for the recognition and praise of other people? Ouch. In what aspect of life have you longed for this? You want to be seen by a certain crowd or a certain group of having made it, of being elite, of being different, of being in. You want to be noticed. You want to be praised. You long for it. What is it? Maybe it's career accomplishments. Maybe it's how great your home and domestic life is. Maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's uh, your hard work. Maybe it's even your hard partying. Where do you want to be seen and praised by a certain crowd? Maybe for your religious zeal, your prophetic voice, your service. You know what? This, this is so insidious. We can even love to be recognized for our suffering, can't we? Listen, there is nothing wrong with some encouragement and some thanksgiving. We are supposed to do that for one another. We need that. But here's the danger. A love of human praise. A love of being seen, recognized. All of a sudden, it's like a drug. We serve it like a slave. It's alluring. And people use religion to do it, don't they? If I can't be seen in that way, I'll be seen in this way. And when we use religion to do it, that's especially, that's hypocrisy. That's the first warning. It's alluring, Jesus says. Second thing, it uses other people. Religious hypocrisy uses other people. You know, when the scholars of the world, when the skeptics of the world say religion is the problem, here's where they're right. And Jesus said it first. He said of the scribes in verse 40, they devour widows' houses. What does that mean? Well, scribes lived in part on charitable giving. And again, I say there's nothing especially wrong with that. A host of biblical examples where that's good, even mandated. But it can be so abused, can it? So abused. Even in our day, scamming the elderly is a big business. And if you want to be really good at it, do it with the religious guys. Because the elderly, they, sometimes they have really good motives. They care about helping people. And they're all the more vulnerable to being misused, abused by religious teachers or institutions. And so when the skeptics say, look, religion is the poison, in this case, Jesus would agree because religious hypocrisy is based on using people instead of loving them. 
So rightly, we are disgusted when religious folks do that. But again, Jesus' word is, beware. Because now we have to ask the question, do you dare ask it? Where have I used people instead of loving them? You don't have to be a scribe to do that. You don't have to be a uh, health wealth preacher on TV to do that. Where have you done that? Where and when have people only mattered to you when they help you solve some problem? You think of the way we use people. We use them for their bodies, for their attention, their influence, their money, whatever whatever we think they have to offer us. And as Christians, right, it's supposed to be different. We're not supposed to use people. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to serve people. So I think it's valuable here just to remember 1 Corinthians 13, right? It talks about the primacy of love. talks about the details of love. And this helps us see what it means to not be a hypocrite. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, what am I? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so if to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am, what am I? Nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. To see the primacy of love, it doesn't matter what you're doing religiously. If you don't have an honest, genuine love for God and others according to his word, it's a joke. It's worthless. It's nothing. It's hypocritical. But now let's look at what love is. Verse 4. Love is, let's, let's read it together. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's what love is supposed to look like. How often, church, is it easy to use people instead of love them, especially when this is what love is supposed to look like. When we aren't patient and kind, when we're irritable, it's because our sense of that person is that they're in our way, which means our sense of that person is that they exist for our comfort and pleasure, which means we're hypocrites. So, hi, my name's Matt, and uh, I want you to know I struggle with religious hypocrisy. So, Jesus is warning us religious hypocrisy is alluring. It uses others instead of loving them. It's also fake or pretentious. Back in verse 40, these guys devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Now, again, prayer, we are officially for prayer, right? Prayer is good. Prayer is essential. We could all use more prayer. And even long prayers can be wonderful. The issue here, what is it again? The issue is the motive. It's the motive. For a pretense, they make long prayers. 
It's praying for the sake of being seen praying. Some of us, right, we don't want to pray out, pray out loud because we don't want anyone to see us praying. We feel like we're, we're not up for the job. Imagine loving to be seen praying and adding an extra like five minutes to that thing so that everybody will be like, wow, that guy can pray. Have you ever heard such eloquent genius beauty in a prayer? It's fake. Because when you pray, who are you supposedly speaking to? God, according to his word for his glory, supposedly the attention's on him. These guys look like they're speaking to God, but who are they really speaking to? Everyone watching. Oh, God, I just praise you that, that, that you, subtext, look how spiritual I am. Look how righteous I am. And that's really the nature of hypocrisy, isn't it? It's acting. Acting. Their heart in prayer is not look at God, but rather their heart in prayer is look at me looking at God. It's fake. It's an issue of the heart. And this fakery is pride in religious guys, isn't it? Now we see what it's all about. Pride in religious guys. Guys, pride in religious clothing. Look at me. Look how wonderful I am. I'm going to use religion for that. Here's what's so deeply hypocritical for them. These scribes have memorized, in some cases, all of the Old Testament, at least much of the Old Testament. They are quite familiar with it, and they know that there are hosts of verses like the one we're about to read, Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, and be assured he will not go unpunished. I don't know what you hear in that, but evidently God hates pride, and he's going to punish it. And the scribes know that, and still they use the worship of God for honestly the worship of self, and it's fake. But what about us? Have you ever done anything spiritual, nice, kind, godly, and you have to admit that a major part of your motive is hoping someone sees it, recognizes you, and thanks you for it? Here's a way my heart gets exposed. Maybe sometimes you serve, and you go home a little grumpy, a little offended. If you dare parse out your heart, it's because it seemed like no one cared. Now listen, disclaimer, I want you to be thanked. I want you to feel encouraged. We all need that. We do, we need that. And yet, if a primary response to serving or doing something Jesus would call us to is offense that no one praises for it, we might be like a scribe. For a pretense, we said a long prayer. So it's a warning. Jesus says religious hypocrisy, it's alluring, It uses others instead of loving them. It's fake and it's pride. Fourth thing, Jesus says it will will receive condemnation. Jesus says they, the scribes, will receive the greater condemnation. Now, for one thing, if you have been a victim of religious hypocrisy, this verse can comfort you because sometimes it feels like there's no justice in the world. Jesus sees it, and there will be condemnation. There will be justice. 
he knows it helps us to rest in that. But again, also, it's a warning. Why did, it, why did these guys get a greater condemnation? Well, it's due to their influence, right? A scribe is meant to know the scriptures, teach them faithfully for the, for the, for the glory of God and the good of his people. Um, they're supposed to live as a genuine example of a repentant sinner seeking the Lord. Instead, these guys are teaching by their example a life dedicated to the glory of self. So because of their influence, their responsibility, their condemnation is worse. So we see here this hardcore reality. Pride is going to be judged. Pride's always bad. It's even worse in those who claim to belong to Jesus, isn't it? You see pride out there in the world. You see see it. You rightfully hate it. You guys, it's worse in people who claim to belong to Jesus. We should know better. Right? The heart of how we understand ourselves is God being merciful to us uh, because we don't deserve it. And we should be the most humble people there are. Often we're not. And not only is it especially bad in those who claim to belong to Jesus, it's worse of all when it's uh, church leaders like me. So God have mercy. Uh, but Jesus says, condemnation is coming on religious hypocrisy. Anyway, that takes us to the next story. Verse 41, you see this account, right, of Jesus sitting down. Uh, He's probably taking a break from this constant teaching and debate. It says in 41, he sat down opposite the treasury, watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came, put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. He called to his disciples and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, they contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. So as we read this, we, we kind of wonder, okay, how does this fit in with what Mark is saying? What are we supposed to do with this? And so I want to admit to you now that my take on this passage is different than almost all the commentators I read. So I could be wrong, okay? I'm, you're going to have to decide for yourself. But here's what's happening, right? We see it. The rich are putting in large sums. And I just want to ask you, does the text do anything to condemn that? Not at all. And by the way, I I think that's entirely appropriate when rich believers give large sums. (laughs) That's, That's the way it's supposed to work. It's all through the scriptures. Praise God for generous believers. And this church wouldn't be here without them. But it's true, Jesus does give attention where no one else gives it, because who does he spotlight? There's a poor widow with nearly nothing, right? And uh, in that society, right, she's basically a nobody, and what can she give, all, in all honesty? What does she have to offer to, the, uh, to this year's budget? A penny, right? It's not really moving uh, from red to black, it's, it's nothing in the grand scheme of things, but, he, but here's the beautiful thing. Jesus notices her, and he notices what she gives. She matters to him, and she gave everything, and he sees it, and he appreciates it, right? Because he sees, he does, he sees the giving as not just in the amount that you give, but in the percentage of what it costs you. These rich fellas put in a whole bunch of money, and that's great. We're thankful. Well done. But it didn't cost them. 
like those two coins cost her. And Jesus recognizes and sees that. So if you're at a place where you can only give a little, but that little hurts, yeah, you can be encouraged. Jesus sees that. But, but here's where I'm not quite tracking with where most people go. Most preachers and commentators see this lady as a great example of discipleship. So for instance, uh, all the hypocrites, right? They're just giving for the praise of others. But this passage, she teaches us about humility, sacrifice, commitment, uh, that it's not just what you give, but how much it costs you to give. Okay. But their conclusion is that she's an example for us. And I just can't see it. I don't, believe, I don't agree. Here's why. I don't think the main point of this passage is that she's an example. I think the main point of this passage is that she is a victim. She's a victim. Because what does she give? Everything she had to live on. Now, how many of you all here at Fountain of Life, you want to be a church like that? Where we walk up to a poor widow or a single mom and we give her the idea that for her to be faithful, she needs to give it all. Everything she has to live on. We don't care if you're homeless. We don't care if you're on food stamps. Give your pennies to our temple. That's outrageous. That's disgusting. And remember what Jesus said about the scribes? What did, they, what did he say about the scribes? They devour widows' houses. And four verses later, he points out an example of a widow's house being devoured. Because what he's saying is, and it ties us to the greater storyline of Mark, what he's saying is this religious hypocrisy problem, it's not just in the scribes, it's in the entire temple system. They have communicated to her that faithfulness looks like giving every cent to where she has nothing left. And I think Jesus is disgusted by it. This is incriminating evidence that the entire temple system of Israel is corrupt and will be condemned and needs to come down. So let me prove it to you. Look what Jesus says next. Now, it's in chapter 13, and I know, right? I know when you read the Bible, it's really helpful, our translations. They, uh, they break it up into bite-sized chunks for us. But we also kind of get the idea that an argument in one chapter can't continue to the next chapter right? It's got to be like a totally different episode. Well, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Look at the next verse. She gave all she had to live on. And then look what Jesus does, 13.1. He leaves the temple. And it's not just leaving to go home for the night. It's leaving like in the prophet Ezekiel when the presence of God left the temple due to the people's hypocrisy. He's leaving in principle. And one of his disciples says, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Well, think about this next week. The Herod's temple was a, a wonder of the ancient world. It would be stunning if you could go back in time and see it. And they're leaving the temple and saying, man, this thing's amazing. It's beautiful. And so often, right, religious hypocrisy, gosh, it's impressive. Big building, gold-plated. But look what Jesus says, 13.2. 
Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Dang. You know, that comes true in 70 AD. Historians will tell you there was so much gold in the temple and the fires from the Roman army were so hot that the gold went in between stones as it melted and soldiers would rip apart every stone to get at some of that gold. It's coming down. And it's just to emphasize to us this warning. Nobody hates religious hypocrisy more than Jesus. And if you don't repent of it, you will be condemned. And the biblical truth is, if you don't repent of it, it'll be condemning even to the point of hell. Very serious. That's a warning, isn't it? Oh, God, make us genuine. Make us genuine. Oh, God, keep us from the allure of religious hypocrisy. Keep us from using people instead of loving them. Keep us from being fake knowing that it will be condemned. Well, now the remedy. That was all the first point. The second point won't be quite as long. Now the remedy. How do you fix the hypocrisy problem? How do you fix it? We have to ask where the problem lies. And the scriptures will tell you hypocrisy is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. We saw it in the motives, right? They like this praise. It's a heart problem. This is what, back what Jesus said in uh, Mark 7. This is what he said, Mark 7, 6. This people honors me with their lips, but what? The heart is far from me. I don't have their heart. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then down in Mark 7, 20. Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him from, what, from, from within out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. What's the problem? The heart. In our sin, we are inclined to dislike God and love other things in his place. So what can change the heart? What can change the heart? How can the, the very seed of your desires be transformed and changed? There's only one answer, and that is who Jesus is and what he's done. It's who Jesus is and his death on the cross for you in your place. We remember what Jesus said about himself and why he came, Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life to buy, to purchase prideful, hypocritical people like me and you. In fact, he died for your hypocrisy. And what do you see there at the cross? Well, number one, you see, you see a source of humility, don't you? How bad was your sin? I know there's all those hip hypocrites out there. I know. But how bad was your sin? What did it take to save you from your sin? Did Jesus get grounded for you, you know, for a week? Did he lose his allowance for you? 
What did it take? He went to a cross for you. What does that tell you? It makes you wonder if you really want to spend that much time thinking about just how bad all those other people are. This is what it took to save you. And that kills my self-righteousness. I just, I can't be self-righteous anymore when I'm looking at the cross. That's what he did for me. It humbles me. But not only that, there at the cross, I find the love I'm starving for. Because not only did he go to the cross for me, that's how bad I am, he also went to the cross for me. For you, that's how loved you are. And remember that slavery of living for what people think? Oh, the cross can actually free you from that. Because you know what you see? There in the honesty of the cross, where you see how bad you really are, right? You spend all your life trying to show people, no warts here, no problems here, no flaws here. The cross says, yeah, right. When you're finally honest enough to be like, yeah, there I am. And then you see that you're loved, even still. This new sense of belonging, of identity comes through. Through faith, you're a child of God. You're loved. He sees you for who you are, and you are loved. Which means all of a sudden, all that people-pleasing I needed to do, I don't need to do that mess anymore. It sets you free. Right now, you can look out in the world and be like, I care what you think, not because I need to get my identity from you. I care what you think now because I'm starting to love you. But I don't need the praise from you to make it because I have all the praise I really need when Jesus says, you're mine, I love you. I find I'm loved there at the cross. And those two things, the humbling and the reception of love give a new motivation. Remember how religious hypocrisy is alluring? Well, now that you have Jesus, it's not alluring anymore. Not interested. I'm interested in the genuine thing. I want him to be glorified. Remember how religious hypocrisy uses others? Oh, but not if you're gripped by Jesus. The more you're gripped by him and who he is and what he did for you, it's going to change your motive not to use people, but to serve them, to love them like he did for you. Remember how religious hypocrisy is fake? Gripped by Jesus, you can be real. You can admit you're a sinner without fear, that you're flawed but you're pressing on to be like Christ. You can be at peace. You don't have to put on a show anymore. And finally, remember how religious hypocrisy is condemned? You trust yourself to Jesus. Instead of being condemned, you'll be received. Look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No longer condemned, no longer guilty, forgiven, transformed. Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, that's the remedy to religious hypocrisy. And it's the only one there is. So what should we do when we encounter religious hypocrisy? There's a variety of answers given the details, of course. But here's one major one. Be warned. As soon as your eyes start almost enjoying how bad other people are, bounce them right back to yourself. And remember, 
that religious hypocrisy is alluring. It abuses people instead of loving them. It's fake and it's pride. It will be condemned. Instead, cling to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Because of his love, you can grow in genuinely loving God and others according to his word. And you'll be genuine, no longer fake. And that's who we want to be, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you how hypocritical we can be. We just realize everybody in the world is hypocritical in some way. We all have a standard we believe in, we trust in, but we don't actually keep our own standard. Much less yours, much less we Christians who have your word, Lord. How many times have we broken what you've said even as we say it? Please forgive us. We thank you so much for Jesus, the only truly genuine worshiper there ever was, the one with zero hypocrisy, always loved you, always loved his neighbor in purity. And we thank you that he lived the life we couldn't live. We thank you that he died on the cross in our place. We thank you that he rose from the dead. He's alive now. One day he will return. And we want to trust ourselves to him. And I pray that in him, in Jesus, we would find the forgiveness that we need and the transformation of the heart, that more and more hypocrisy would die. We would live in genuine love for you and for one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.